my Bible? It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, <clears throat> our scripture text comes from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, New Living Translation. I've been reading to your hearing. It says, so, so let not get tired of doing what is good. Somebody say, what is good? So he's telling us, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Somebody say, don't give up. You know, sometimes doing good can be hard. Sometimes doing good, you get tired of it. Especially when people don't respond the way you want them to when you're doing. But in spite of how they respond, he's saying you can't give up. You can't stop doing good. He says, therefore, whenever, somebody say whenever. Whenever, whenever at whatever time, whatever the occasion is, with no restriction, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, somebody, everyone. everyone. To everyone, especially. 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 You got to do it to everybody, Cliff. But especially, especially to those in the family. In Romans, he told us that we ought to prefer one another. Amen. I mean, we should show preferential treatment toward one another and compare to you. When I compare myself, I should look at you in a better way than I look at my... Y'all may be seated. Y'all may be seated. This is going to be our third sermon in the series, and we're going to conclude this today, that we've entitled simply The Opportunity. You know, and uh, somebody may say, well, what is opportunity? And, and it's nothing more than a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. Somebody say to do something. You know, at the appropriate time, or at a favorable time, or in a season, or in an occasion. You know, um, I, was here, I heard this little joke or something that connects with that, that there was a, a pessimistic person, an opportunistic person, and an optimistic person together in a desert place, Cliff, dry, thirsty. And they saw water in a glass. The pessimistic person complained because the glass looked like it was half full. The optimistic person argued that the glass was half empty. I think I may have it backwards, but you know, yeah. The pessimistic guy who thought it was empty, the optimistic guy thought it was half full. But the opportunistic guy, he went over and drank the water. So the point is that when an opportunity opened up, every now and then you gotta seize that moment or walk through the door that has been open. Because sometimes you miss the opportunity 
all because you debated something that don't need to. So when we talk about opportunity and time, we talked about it in the state of time and chronos and kairos. We talked about chronos time being time that is in a structured order. Season, we go through winter, spring, summer, fall, uh, orders of days, months, years, things of that nature. They're all in chronological order. Then there's Kairos time that talks about moments within those time frames. Like we have a moment now to worship God, a moment now to praise God, a moment now on this Chronos Sunday we have a moment in that Sunday to do something for the Lord. So as we have the opportunity to do something for the Lord, then we should. And so in the course of our life, we will be presented with opportunities where we can do something good or where we can do something evil. And so we've been talking about that, and, and I will have you to go back and listen to the previous one so that you can be caught up with what we're, our train of thought. But today we're going to start with 1 Corinthians. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going back and regurgitating things that we've said. But we're going to start in 1 Corinthians real quick, chapter 16. Here we see the Apostle Paul writing uh, from Ephesus to the Corinthians about his plan to visit them. But when a door of opportunity opened to do what was great or do a great work in Ephesus, it caused him to alter his plan. And, and, and from that, I want to encourage you, those of you here striving, whether you're in the house or online, that when a door of opportunity open for you to do a work for the Lord, you got to walk through the door. Even if you face opposition. Because sometimes every door that's open to you Everybody's not going to want you to walk through it. But it's going to be up to you to be obedient to the call of God on your life and what he's telling you to do to walk through it. Paul could have easily ran from this opportunity because of opposition. He was in a place where folk hated him, didn't want him to preach the gospel, didn't want him to talk about Jesus. And that would have been an easy excuse. Let me just get out of town now. But Cliff, he saw an opera because people there needed to know who Jesus was. And he said, this is an opportunity for me to share the gospel with them. So even though I want to come to you, I got to stay here because there's a wide open door. Look at this. In verse 5, he says, in 16, he says, I'm coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia. For I am planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you will send me on my way to my next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go on. I want to come and stay a while, if, somebody say if. if. There's always got to be an if somewhere in that condition. Because some things we want to do may not be consistent with what God wants us to do. So whenever we make plans, try to include God in the planning process. So he says, now, if the Lord let me, or if the Lord permit me to come. He says, now look, in the meantime, meanwhile I'm waiting, 
I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door. Somebody say wide open door. Another way of saying there is an opportunity for a great work here. Although many oppose me. He's saying, look, I want to come to see you. I want to be with you because I made plans, but I see an opportunity. And because God has afforded me this opportunity, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity while I'm here because it may not be here when I come. And in fact, Cliff, I may not even get back to take advantage. And a lot of times people miss opportunities thinking that they're going to get another chance. And sometimes that may be your only opportunity. And then the door closed. And when the door closed and you look back and you say, why didn't I take that opportunity? Then you got to live a life of regret. And so I want to encourage you today that when the Lord show you a great work, whatever it is you should be doing, whether it's in the church, in your community, on your job, in your family, when you see a door of opportunity open, you got to take it. Even if some of your family members oppose you, even if friends oppose you, you still got to take the opportunity. Amen. And so Paul realized that, and so he changed his plans to bring them in agreement with God's plan. And sometime in life, we got to change our plans. You know, we sit down and start making thoughts for tomorrow and next week and next month, what are we going to do? We should always, James say, consider what God would have us to do. Because your life is just a, a vapor, and you'll be making long-range plans, and you may not even be here. So include God in your plans. Amen? So when God gives us an opportunity, we got to be bold enough, we got to be courageous enough to walk through that door and believe that God set this up. And if he set it up, it's on him, not on me. All I got to do is be obedient, and then I trust him for the... Amen. Now in Colossians, my second turn, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. This passage let us know that we need to pray for opportunity to speak about Jesus, Cliff. Sometimes they don't just happen, you got to pray them in the beam. I mean, if you really want something to happen and you really want that opportunity, he's letting us know here, hey, sometimes you just got to pray. God, give me the opportunity, provide me the opportunity, afford me the opportunity, God, to witness to somebody today, to speak to somebody today, to pray for somebody today. Afford me that opportunity. And God, I'm praying for this before I even leave home because I'm believing if I pray for it, you'll bring it into existence. So sometimes we pray for opportunity when we're trying to get a job. I mean, folks don't even pray all the time. All of a sudden, they got an opportunity to get a promotion. I'm praying. Praying and fasting. So you're already doing it. I'm just saying we ought to be praying for opportunity to share this word with people, to share the gospel, to share your testimony, because someone can be blessed by your life. The change that has happened in your life, the things that you've done in your life, someone can be blessed by your life. And your story is so important that, that only you can tell it. So sometimes our prayers are, God, just give me the opportunity to tell my story. 
Give me an ear that want to hear what you've done for me. I just need the opera. And God, I'm praying. And then when now when that person comes, all I need to do is be obedient. Don't, I don't need to get fearful now. I done prayed for this. Because I prayed for them, I'm expecting it. And so when you start praying for things in your life, you ought to start expecting things to happen in accordance with your prayer. Even if God don't bring it to pass or it takes some time, you still expect God to do what he says he's going to do. So look at this. He says, now look, in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4, he says, look, devote. Somebody say devote. devote. See, devote, he's trying to tell them, Cliff, you got to be persistent in something. You know, you got you to gotta stay with it. You just can't do it one time. Prayer can't be just a one-off. We just come on Sunday, we pray on Sunday, but we don't talk to God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You got to devote yourself to something. That's why we call everything devotion. So he says, now look, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. Somebody say alert mind. How many of you know, you, you know when you decide you're going to pray, your mind just want to go everywhere. I mean, when you get ready to pray, you, you know, you look like you could be doing anything else. And all of a sudden, you say you want to pray, your thoughts process just start coming in. And I wasn't thinking about nothing until I started to say I want to pray. And all of a sudden, now I'm flooded with all these other things coming to my mind. Because the enemy don't want you to pray. He is supposed to com confuse your communication link with the Lord. Because you know what? In warfare, one of the first things we do is take our communication towers. We don't want our enemy to be able to talk to each other. We want to separate them from their headquarters so they can't get orders and so they can't be told what to do and how to do it and when to do it. So we, why wouldn't the devil want to do the same thing? Why would he want you to have open communication with God so you can hear clearly what God wants you to do and what God is speaking to your heart? The first thing he wants to do is interrupt your communication. So that's why he said you got to pray with an alert mind. If it means that you got to take a list that you need to read while you're praying, do that. Because you want your mind to be focused on what God has got you praying for. So he said, now look, with an alert mind and a thankful heart. In other words, your heart ought to be in the right place and you ought to always be willing to give God thanks. In all things, we give him. He said, now look, he's telling you all and me pray for us. So we got to pray for each other. Amen. You know, prayer is the thing that we can do for each other, whether we're with each other or we are hundreds and hundreds of miles apart. I can pray for you if you're in Africa. Amen. You can pray for me if you're in Africa. Because that's something that God has afforded us to be able to do, a, a weapon in our warfare that we don't have to be physically with each other to accomplish that mission. So he said, now look, Pray for us too. Look what he says. That God would give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. In other words, pray for us that we get many opportunities to tell folks about Jesus and what his plan was when he was going to give salvation to the Gentiles. That, that was a mysterious plan. So now that I know the plan, pray that we can tell everybody the plan concerning Christ and his relationship with the Gentile. And he said, look, me spreading that message got me in. We can spread that message today and don't have to worry about being put in chains in America. 
because it's, it's baked into our system, we can have freedom of religion. Amen. And so therefore, since we got that freedom, every now and then you need to exercise that freedom. And you need to pray that God would give you an opportunity. He said many opportunities. I'm just praying that we just take one. We got to start somewhere. Everything starts with one. So I, I, I'm not going to even have you to jump to many. Just take one. When God give you that one opportunity, take it. But they pray for many opportunities to speak about these mysteries. Look at this, what he said. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. I don't want to be confusing. I mean, I want to make sure that people clearly understand this gospel. And, and, and therefore, when we make sure people clearly understand something, there is a potential that they may do what they understand. So I want to pray, and you ought to pray for any minister that's going to stand. Pray that they and pray that you clearly understand because we want to make sure that people understand the truth of God's word so they don't have to be deceived by the lie. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And then he says, live wisely among those who are not believers. So now our life can be a testimony just by how we live. We, we are not to live foolishly. We'll try to live wisely, prudent, and, and careful and cautious among those who are not believers. Because we don't want to do anything among non-believers that would cause God to have a bad name. Amen. So he tells us to live wisely among those who are not believers. Because he's not going to take you out of the world. And you're not going to be around believers all the... Some of your family members are not believers. You got to be around them. So you got to live wisely. The people that you work with may not be believers. The people you go to school with may not be believers. But God didn't take us out of school, didn't take us out of the family, didn't take us out of the world. He left us right here and challenged us to live wisely among those who are not believers. And look what he says. And make the most of every... Man, when you're amongst non-believers, you got plenty. They get take opportunity to tell you about what they're doing. Cliff, they're they, they going to make me step from, I, I said I was going to stay behind here today and try to be confined, but, but look here. Your non-believing friends take every opportunity they can to tell you what they're doing. When they go out and cut the food on the weekend, they come in on Monday and tell you just what, what we did, boy, we, boy, we had, we, you know, we, we had a blast this weekend, man. You know, we was really, you know, we turned it up. We lit the place. I mean, we finished, you know, everybody was wow. I mean, we just, we just lit it. I mean, we had alcohol flowing from everywhere. I mean, you can get it out of a tap over here. They had, we had bars all around the place. I mean, we just lit it. They have no problem sharing with you their experiences. Then why do we have a problem sharing with them? So, you ought to say, man, I went to church yesterday. Oh, God. Pastor messed up that joke about pessimistic, optimistic, and opportunistic, but I got it at the end. But I really got it. I, I'm going to be the guy that's going to drink the water. I ain't going to sit here and argue with folks. While y'all over there arguing at the Kofi coffee bar, guess what? I'm going to go ahead and drink some. I ain't going to sit over here and argue with y'all because I done learned. I may miss my opportunity over there arguing with y'all because it really don't make no difference. We all thirsty. 
and I'm going to be the one that's going to get filled because y'all going to still be thirsty when I get through drinking this water. So you got an opportunity just based upon what you experience every day. And so what he says that when we understand that, man, we got to pray, look at this, that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should and live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Then he tells us what we need to do. Let your conversation be gracious. In other words, you got to know how to talk to the unbelieving folk that you work with. You got to be kind and courteous. You can't talk to them like they talk to you. I know y'all want to hear that. You know, they, they, they kind of go off on you and lose it. You can still lose it, but you can't. That is not going to work to your advantage if you just get down to where they are and lose it. So he's saying, now look, when you're out there with them, you got to let your conversation be gracious and, uh, you know, anything that's attractive would normally draw you to it. So he said, if your conversation, your words are right, you can use the right words and then you can draw people. And when you are drawing people to you, that is not the time to give your beatdown speech. The world know they jacked up. They know they messed up. They know that they got up with a hangover. They, all, they know that. They don't need for you to remind them of what they already you need to reveal a mystery to them, something that they, and you need to tell them something about you that they don't know and explain how you got where you are now and where you came from. They can understand that because that would be a, everybody likes a little bit of gossip. You just gossiping by yourself. You know, it's easy to gossip by other folk, but now you're just going to take the opportunity to flip the script and make your gossip impossible, I mean positive. Why? Because I'm going to stand here and talk about Bowden. And if I was to start talking about Bowden from A to Z, I probably would not lose not one of y'all. I mean, because it's going to be attractive. Tell us more. What did you do? What happened then? Attractive. So your conversation can't be a conversation that's going to repel people from you. It's got to be conversations that are going to draw. Now, I'm not telling you to get on in every your life. They probably couldn't handle that because they probably, you know, put you on a pedestal. But you can tell them how the Lord changed your life, where he found you at. What was your Damascus Road experience? And let them know that, hey, just because I'm here now, I don't want you to think I've always been here. It was a process to get where I am today. But therefore, I understand. And, I, and look here. Cliff, I, I know you, I'm just using you as an object lesson. I know you enjoyed it last night, man, when you was out there. I know, I, I, you know, I, I know what it feels like to be out there at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning feeling good. You know, your soul and your spirit juiced up. Not, man, Cliff, I know what you feel like, man. I've been there. Man, I've been there when you don't want to leave the place. Sun coming up, I've been there. But I found out that there is a better way. But I'm not going to condemn you for being there right now because I used to be there, man. But one day, I believe if you accept this truth I'm trying to give you, you too going to feel like you can leave at 12 o'clock and be okay. You too. Now that's more attractive than Cliff, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know midnight is the bewitching hour. <laughs> 
And if you stay up past midnight out there, nothing good happened at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you out there, well, Cliff, they're going to probably move away from you because your conversation is not courteous and is not a... You can attract people with your word. That's all the Bible trying to get us to see. You just got to choose the right words and the right way to say them, and you can attract people to the Lord. So he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you would have the right, somebody say the right response. The right response for everybody. It's easy to come off with the wrong response, but the right response ought to bring about a sense of comfort and peace and things of that nature. A right response should make a person leave you frustrated, bewildered, and confused and then don't want to even talk to you again. Amen. You know, and, and sometime, and, and, I, and I'm just telling myself, because I done been there. I, I done been that dogmatic guy. I done been that guy. I, mean, I done been that guy where everything was don't, 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 dogmatic. And at that time, I thought I was right. But I had to understand that, that everybody don't grow the same way. Everybody don't grow at the same pace at the same time. Your kids don't all grow the same way. And so for me at that time to think that every Christian was going to give up what I gave up at the rate that I gave it up, when I gave it up, it was kind of expecting them to be like me when God may not be moving on them like that right now. And so, so often when we get like that, I want everybody to be like me and live up to the standard that I put out there, not realizing how long it took me to get where I am. So when they hear the story, they think, oh, man, Pastor Bolden, you know, he went to bed one night, you know, unholy, and he woke up the next morning, he was walking with the Lord, loving to go to church, loving to, no, man, I was still walking in the lodge. I, I, I love the lodge more than I love the church. Amen. I love the club way more than I love the church. The church had a, a, a long way to go to catch up with the club. Because I've been clubbing since high school. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that now that I'm where I am, I have not forgotten all those days. And so I use those days to have an attractive cover to let people know that if God changed me, he can change you. And we're all still works in, y'all, in the blanks. So look at this. In Ephesians chapter in this passage and I'm going to use this to reinforce our scripture text because I'll go to that next go there next uh, we should make the most of every opportunity to do good we've been saying that but we should carefully use the time and the opportunities that we have in doing good because we're living in evil days just like in the time when Paul was living, Paul realized that it, the times were evil. And because the time was evil, he didn't have a lot of time to waste in those times. The world we live in is changing every day. And, and, and the sad thing is it's not getting better every day. It's getting worse every day. And so therefore, if we don't take the advantage of the opportunity to do good in the midst of a changing world that's changing so fast and, and, and that it's hard to keep up with, then what happens is the church is going to get left behind and become irrelevant. Amen. 
And in order to, to not become irrelevant, we're going to have to keep pace with the changes that the world is making. We got to stay on top of the new thing that they're trying to do out there because they ain't nothing new. They just got new methods. But what, what we got to do, we can't just sit back and put our head in the sand and say, oh, it's going to be, no, the Bible say in the last days it's going to be wax evil and evil. It's just going to get worse. It'll get better. But because that's going to happen, it should make us fearful. It should make us want to withdraw from the world. Meaning that God ain't calling me to go and live in a convent somewhere. That's not what he called me to do. Now, he may call somebody else to do that, but that ain't what he called me to do. So if he's not calling me to isolate myself somewhere and serve him, then he's placing me right in the midst of the battlefield to serve him. And so since we're in the middle of this battlefield that we have to serve him, then we got to make sure that we don't shrink back in the midst of the service field. It would be nice if all we had to do is come to church on Sunday and all of us hang out in here all the time in our little convent. We see everybody every day. But the minute we get a benediction, man, I got to turn y'all loose to go back out there. And some of y'all may be going to some situation that just ain't nice. Wasn't nice when you left it. And you got to go back to it. Some of you got to go back to families that you really don't get along with. But you can't stay in here. You, you, you can't hide in here. You got to learn how to deal with them. Amen. You got to get some attractive language so that you'll make them at least want to come near you when you come around. Some of you got to go to jobs that you don't want to go to. But you ain't finna quit. At least if you got any sense. You know, my granddad tell me, man, you don't leave a job till you got another one. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that because God didn't take us out of the world, man, he has an expectation of how we're supposed to be light in the world. So this is what Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 15. He says, so be careful. Somebody say, be careful. That means just be cautious how you live. Be careful how you live. Think about how are you living, what you're doing. Be careful. Because if you're not careful, landmines everywhere. And so you're in warfare, so you just can't go in warfare and not necessarily be careful. Then he comes back and, and, and kind of insults us a little bit here. He says, don't live like fools. So obviously there's a way to live that's like a fool, but live like those who are so we got a choice, just like the virgins. They had a choice. Five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. You just need to make sure that you're going to be in the wise camp. It don't mean that foolishness ain't going to be all around you. Because some of the people that you go to, go to school with, foolish. Some of your cousins, foolish. Amen. I know y'all don't want to hear that. It, it would be nice if all our kinfolk were wise. Some of them just. And because they foolish, 
you don't even want to go to family reunion because you don't want to be around there when you ought to be right there in the midst being wise in the midst of there. So he says, don't live like fools, but like those who are. Then he says, look, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. There are going to be opportunities when you leave here today to do something wise. He says, now look, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You got to know what God is calling you to do. And what he's calling you to do is for you to do, not for you to compare yourself to somebody else and see what they do. The reason most people don't take the opportunity to do what they need to be doing, they're watching somebody else doing what they are doing, and then now they feel like, well, my opportunity, what God called me to do, don't line up with theirs. They ain't supposed to. You do what he called you to do. You do what he wants you to do and not what he wants Cliff to do. Or what he wants Brother JP to do. And if you can do that, then you won't find yourself comparing yourself to Brother Cliff or JP or anybody else. You'll just know that your relationship between you and God and you want to serve him to the best that you can. So he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Then he says, don't be, somebody say drunk. In the old days, I would read that as don't drink no wine. Because I gave up alcohol, and I want everybody else to give up alcohol too. So I read that, don't drink no wine. But the Bible didn't say, don't drink no wine. So y'all who still drink a little wine, y'all will say amen. I mean, ain't no sin if you ain't getting drunk. I mean, you can say amen. I, I, I ain't stupid. I know all y'all in here ain't teetotalers. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I mean, somebody here drinking something. I mean, you know. I mean, somebody, you know, some good possibilities. Somebody drinking a little wine on the side somewhere. Amen. So you ain't got to hide it. You know, I, I know that. I just don't know who, but I know that. It's a good possibility. Some of y'all got wine at home right now. So all I'm telling you, the Bible says don't be. So Pastor Bolden can no longer stand up and tell you, go and pull your Chevy's Regal or whatever you got at home down to your Morgan David and all that, you know, your Cavassier or whatever that is, you know. You need to just pour it down the drain. <laughs> now Pastor Bolden's supposed to agree with Paul and say, look, just don't drink too much of it. Put a limit on it. You can do the math. They got a formula that tell you if you waste so much, they tell you how many ounces you can drink and be okay. It ain't hard. Just ask, ask Siri, ask the internet, they'll tell you. <laughs> you. You weigh 200 pounds, you shouldn't drink no more than six ounces. You can measure that. So when you drink 12, now you, yeah. Y'all don't want to hear that. Okay, I figure I put a little humor in there. Oh, y'all tell you. He said, now look, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Too much alcohol will definitely ruin your life. He said, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he contrasts in a natural high with a spiritual high. He said, look, you know, for me, it will be best if you didn't drink nothing. But since some of you got to drink a little wine, sell your meal, make it taste good, get your taste buds right and all that, I got you. But just don't get drunk. Because if you don't get drunk with that, then you can still have room for the Spirit. 
Because a spiritual high is better for you than a natural high. Amen. The effects afterwards a whole lot. So he said, now instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because now he wants you to sing and conduct yourself in a, in a way that's going to glorify God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself make, and making music to the Lord in your Man, we come together today in worship. Man, the praise team shouldn't have to be the only one wanting to make some music in their heart. If we come in here with our spirits in tune with God, we should want to come in wanting to praise God, wanting to say something to God, wanting to lift up our voice to him. Why? Because our spirit is filled with that, and that's how we get drunk. When we got drunk in the natural, you can tell a drunk person. Once they get drunk, you know it. They start getting loud. Words start slurring. They start staggering all over the place. There is no doubt in your mind that they're drunk. So when we come to church, we can't figure out if we're having a spiritual experience or not because everybody's sitting here like they don't know how to move. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to do nothing. Why? Because they don't want to appear like they are drunk. Somebody, y'all don't want nobody to leave. I say, oh, Brother Moe got drunk in church today. Why? Man, that brother got up and, man, I ain't never seen Brother Moe cut one like that in. And some people look at that and say, wow, that is so unbecoming of Brother Moe. But someone else say, Brother Moe is just in the spirit. Praising I don't know why we're intimidated when it comes to being in the spirit and being drunk. But when it was, we were in the world, we took our chances. We knew six ounces was the limit, Cliff, but we said, I believe I can do 10. And then I'm, I, I think I can do just two more. <laughs> 10 more, that's how you were actually going to do 10 more. But, 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 but in here, we only want to give God a fraction of what he's due, not even what's required of us. And what I'm trying to tell you, sometimes you've got to give him a little bit. You've got to give him more than you expected to give when you walked in the door. Some of you came in here today, you didn't expect to give God nothing. You just wanted to receive, and that's all. But God has said, no, if you're going to receive, every now and then you've got to give something Every now and then you got to give him a praise. Every now and then you got to worship him. Every now and then you got to let somebody know you know how to be drunk. Marvin, I look at you, man. I know that that drunk in the spirit thing. Me and you about the same. We, we, we are not, you know, we done bought into, we're not that emotional guy. We, we, our feelings don't run like that in church. I don't know why we, t I told him, tell myself that. You just don't, you don't. But then these same feelings when they were in the world, everybody knew when I got drunk. They knew it. They knew he out of his zone now. He don't normally dance. He don't had too many drinks over there. Look at him out there on the floor. He don't normally. But now when the Lord bring me to church, I can't hear and say, I don't do that. In the same feet that used to dance in the club can do the same thing right in. Oh, God, y'all don't want to help me today. And what I'm trying to say, so we make excuses.
to change our behavior in church when we accept, we, we, we celebrated that behavior in the so when the praise team say, give the Lord a hand cup of praise, say, <laughs> shout hallelujah. Some of you say, hallelujah. But you can take some of the same folk and then get home and yell from the rooftop at their husband or their wife. But in church, that same voice, silent. Maybe if we would use that voice in, we would use that same voice as, he said, if we're supposed to sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. And look, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if nothing else, like the old people used to say, and I used to fight this, we can all tell him thank you. So, so let's just take a moment, just tell God thank you. Just stand to your feet, just relax, just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Just tell God, thank you. Thank him for what he's done for you. Give him the glory. Give him the praise. Acknowledge him for who he is. Give him that hand clap of praise. Shout hallelujah. Give him the highest praise. Because that's what we're supposed to do when we're together with each other. We're supposed to praise him, magnify him, exalt him, lift him up to make him feel like we are honored to be in his presence. Hallelujah. We don't want this just to be another place. We want this to be the place where God resides, where God lives, where God shows, where things happen when we come into. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. 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 So we ought to be praising him. We ought to be magnifying. And every Sunday when we come, when we gather together, man, we owe him some praise. If it ain't but five minutes, ten minutes, or two minutes, whatever, when we get up, we ought to at least give him our best. Don't just get up and haphazardly go through something where well, I'm just going to do this. And, and Fabian up here working hard, working real hard. I, I, I look at the brother. He's working hard. Him and the prayer, trying, trying to join in with us, do this. He's exhorting you to do something that you ought to come in the door ready to do. Because you know I have an obligation to praise. Amen. Amen. So, 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 look. When you go to the game, they put cheerleaders on the sideline for a reason. Because they know some of y'all ain't going to stand up until a touchdown is made. But every now and then, you got to cheer them boys on when they ain't got no touchdown on the board yet. And somebody got to exhort you and encourage you to cheer them on when you don't want to cheer. That's what the praise team job is. They're to urge you on and encourage you to praise God. Even when you come here to attitude, I really don't want to do this today. I really don't want to be here today. But because Fabian and the praise team and those folks encouraged me, exhorted me, guess what? I'm going to give God the praise that he is due. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, God. Hallelujah. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. 
He is worthy. He's worthy. You may be seated. You may be seated. Let me go back to our text then. I'm finna wrap this up. Galatians chapter 6. Now, in order to understand this, you've got to kind of get a picture of what was happening toward the end of chapter 5. Because most people will tell you that the Bibles that we got today are broken up into chapters and verses when in reality the original was just one long letter. So it wouldn't be no chapter 5, no chapter 6 and all that. So a lot of things that when you read from one chapter to the other, it's thoughts that have carried over from the previous chapter. So toward the end of chapter 5, Paul had been urging the Galatians to walk in the spirit so that they would not fulfill the lusts of their flesh. He wanted them to express the fruit of the spirit in their relationship with one another. So he told them about love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And he made it crystal clear that if they did those things amongst each other, there was no law in God's word that will rebuke them, chastise them. There will be no law against that. There's no law against you being good. There's no law against you being kind. There's no law that prohibits you from showing love to everybody. No law against that. So he's saying, you can do these things anytime to anybody because God is not going to tell you not to. So as we talked on, then he started using this analogy of sowing and reaping. And he introduced this principle. If you sow something, you're going to reap something. If you plant something, you're going to get a harvest. In other words, for every action, there's a reaction. And, and so therefore, we got to understand that because there is a war going on on the inside of us, it depends on, our winning depends on what we sow to. If there's a war between your flesh and your spirit, if you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap the benefits from your flesh. If you sow to your spirit, you're going to reap the benefits of your spirit. In other words, he was trying to say, when a farmer plants corn, that's kernel, that's seed in the ground, he don't plant that corn thinking he's going to get apples. He's expecting corn. That's a natural law. God is saying the same thing when it comes to us. Whatever you plant in your life, that's what you're going to produce. You can't plant love and produce hate. But at the same time, you can't plant hate and think you're going to get love back in, re in return. So he was trying to let them know, because then he took this to that area right before I started reading. He was talking about how they should give to support certain things. And he, this, so this passage is talking about them giving and doing good for those who may be in need. But at the same time, the principle is much bigger than just giving. So what he's trying to get us to see is that when it talks about sowing, whatever you invest in, whatever you put your resources in, wherever you put, you put your time into, your time, talent, trade, where you sow those things at will determine how you live, will determine what you produce. So if you're putting your treasures in certain things that's worldly and worldly and worldly, you're going to get worldly results. But if you sow into the things of God, you're going to get godly results. 
And so when we sow seed, we're sowing a seed in a field that's supposed to produce spiritual fruit, get spiritual results. And what he's saying is that sometimes, Robin, you can be sowing seed and you can get discouraged because you're not getting the result. But you're doing good. And the person you did good to didn't say even say, didn't even send you a little thank you. No, could have hit you up on the phone and gave you thumbs up. Could have gave you something. They didn't, didn't say. And, and the first thing in our mind and heart is, well, look, let me just, I'm going to just send them a text back, let them know. No. No, no. In everything you got to try to do to do good. Because if you don't do that, then you're going to sow a seed that's not good and that seed going to come back at you. And that's the principle you got to get out of this, is that whatever you sow, you're going to reap it. I tease people all the time. If your kids are cutting the food right now, go back and talk to your mama and your daddy. I guarantee you cut the food. You are reaping what you don't. You put all that on your mom and daddy, now your children. <laughs> so this is why he says in verse 7 of chapter 6 of Galatians, I'm going to be finished, don't be misled. I mean, don't, don't, don't be misled. Don't think that this, this principle don't work. Don't be misled. You cannot mock, cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest, reap, what you sow or what you plant. Whatever you put in the ground, coming back. So look at this. So those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Whatever you put in the ground is going to come back. And so we got to follow that and, and often look back and say, what is coming up in my life? What is happening in my life right now? Then we got to look back and see, what do we sow? Because a lot of times what is happening in our life is based upon what we have. So then because we know that, and Paul realized, you know, anybody in here, if you ever grew up on a farm, farming, is, you know, in that type of living is tough. You have to depend on a whole lot of things. The weather got to work right with you. You got to get rain when you need it. You got to get the sun when you need it. You know, all a lot of things just got to go right for you, man. You got to hope the bugs don't come and eat yourself up there. I mean, you just got a whole lot of stuff that got to go. And so what happens is when some of those things don't go right, the natural inclination is to quit. So it's the same way. When you try to do good, there are going to be things that are going to come in that just ain't good. But when that happens, you can't want to quit and throw in the in the town. I tell people all the time, even in marriages, man, it ain't going to always be goody, 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 goody. It's going to be a bad in there, too. You just hope it ain't bad, 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 bad. But you're going to have some days. And because people, the younger generation, and the courts have made it so easy, they ain't putting up with no bad days like that. You know, you ain't going to get two or three bad days on a row, baby. No. No. I ain't got time for this. You know, mm -mm. I'm, I'm out, look here. My lawyer will be contacting you tomorrow. 
people just ain't going to put up with it. And so what he was trying to tell them, hey, look, man, when times get like that, you got to make sure that you don't quit when it comes to what God has called you to do. Because sometimes it's going to be frustrating when you're trying to do what God called you to do and things are not going the way you want them to. So he says this. So don't get tired of doing what is good. He didn't say it was going to be easy, but he said don't get tired. Man, a farmer can't get tired because he lose one crop. He got to get back out there and sow and plant and, and, and till the ground and do all that stuff all over. So he says, don't get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, in the right season, in the right moment, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. And so I want to encourage some of you today. I, I'm not trying to tell you to stay at something that's bad and ugly and all that. But I'm, I'm telling you, you got to know when the Lord tells you it's time to give up on something. But other than that, man, you got to believe, hey, this is just a test. This is just a hurdle for me to go over because God didn't tell me to give up on it. God didn't tell me to give up on my cousin from trying to minister to him and trying to witness to him, trying to talk to him. Even though that rascal done turned me down, don't even answer my phone, call back, God didn't tell me to give up on it. And what happens is so often we give up on people before God give up on them, and therefore people never experience what you experience because we give up in the middle of the season instead of saying God got a door of opportunity that's going to open and I just need to be here when that person sees the light. Man, I'm so glad that the guy who got me involved with the church didn't give up on me. Because I gave him so many opportunities to just leave me alone. I dodged him. I ran from him. He come in the barbershop when I'm there. Man, I see him come and leave him. Sunday morning, he come in, coming to get me. Man, I ain't, I ain't going today. You know, I ain't going nowhere with you today. I ain't going. I was out all last night. I ain't going. But that dude never stopped. Every Sunday he was there. Sooner or later I had to just get, okay, I'm going to church with you, man. I ain't going to stay the whole time. <laughs> I go to Sunday school, but after Sunday school, I'm jetting now. I'm getting out of here. Okay? He didn't say, you low down sinner. Okay, I'll take that. You leave when you want. And then eventually, because he didn't beat me up, I figured, okay, this ain't bad. I started staying. And so what I'm trying to tell you, he could have gave up on me. And if he had, I wonder where would I be Think about the people that you don't give up on, man, and, and look and see where you think God will have them 10 years from now, all because you did not give up. So therefore, he says, therefore, whatever, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Amen? Amen. So therefore, there's never, it's never a wrong time to do what's right. Anytime God opens a door for you to do something good, man, you got to walk through that door. And once you walk through it, the consequences is not on you. It's on God. You trusted him, not you. And so I challenge you as we wrap this series up, man, don't miss opportunity. Please don't miss opportunity with family members, with friends, with, with people that's close to you. Don't miss opportunity. Don't even, those of you got kids, man, don't miss opportunities with your kids. Because at the end of the day, your money is not really what they want. 
end of the day, they really want you. And so therefore, you got to take the opportunities to do what you need to do by your family. Amen? Every head bowed and every eye closed.